That's not funny, Pliskin. Call me Snake. We'd make one hell of a team, Snake. The name's Pliskin. Remember, once you're inside, you're on your own. Oh, you mean I can't count on you? No. Good. everybody to back in my day my name is david petrangelo and this week the not so stereotypical millennials will be covering two different things one we have an update from our summer movie wager from this past year and we're going to wrap up our thoughts on andor as the finale just came out this week i'm lucky enough to be joined by michael r power and or we'll wrap wrap up our thoughts on andor ian walter (laughs) white sour <laughs> um all right everyone uh let's uh let's get straight into why the summer movie wager is coming back up we're sitting here and winter is upon us or about to be upon us where we're sitting right now but uh mike we're watching a certain movie or we watched a certain movie that we're going to talk about why 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 are we watching escape from new york what happened here because yeah. mike likes kurt russell <laughs> that's true <laughs> who doesn't yeah, this is uh, your guys' payment, or I guess you could say punishment or payment for uh, me winning the summer movie wager this year, which is a game that we play where we try to rank the uh, how the box office will fall in the summer, which we stole from our friends at, at Slash Film. So credit, credit goes to them. It's a fun game, and we like to play it. And the winner gets to choose one movie that the rest of us has to watch, and I won again this this year and i chose big trouble no last time i chose big trouble china this time i chose <laughs> escape from new york we could have just watched big trouble little china again i'd be down for that <laughs> yeah honestly like like we watched that and it was like a goofy fun time it was a good pick it was something that either we hadn't seen or hadn't seen in a really long time i think this kind of falls under that same category too like escape from new york is something we know about or uh, you know as escape from la like these are these are movies that we know of carpenter movies uh kurt russell but like you know is it really like top of your list or things that you first think of watching from the 80s you know maybe it's on there somewhere but it's not the first thing you're gonna fire up so um so mike i think we're pretty excited about about this choice uh wife power uh even been on a little while i want to start with you on overall thoughts of the movie and then we'll sort of get to like points of movie of the movie uh, from there that we really like or didn't like. So what did you think of Escape from New York from 1981? Gotta say it's better than Dave's picks lately. <laughs> I'm not to gonna believe. glad someone mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still not gonna say it was great. Um I mean we'll we'll get into it a bit more when we start talking about it, but to be honest, I kind of found it a bit slow and boring for an action movie. Like mm. going into it, looking at the runtime, which I loved, shorter runtime. It was about an hour and a half, which is fantastic. But but when you're going into an action movie with a runtime like that, you think it's going to jump right into it, and um, you're going to see like a lot of stuff, but you didn't. <laughs> really i don't know it just 
It was a little bit boring to me. I found it a little bit slow. I found it long for an hour and a half movie. And I think just because like nothing was really happening. Um, no specific like action scene real in the movie really stands out to me as like that was a wicked scene and thing or like that was a really cool action. So it's kind of just a, a meh for me, to be honest. Yeah, I uh I don't have too f- different of a feeling because I enjoyed it, but I also felt there were a couple notes as I was watching. I also felt like at the beginning, it feels like it is going to be right off the bat. They're going to get right into it. It sort of almost like fools you because it just sort of, you know, explains everything really quickly and a couple of like short voiceover scenes type thing. And, you know, he shows up a couple minutes later, you know, snake shows up a couple minutes later, and then it just sort of takes its time getting to him into Manhattan. And then once he does, there's, like lead-ins to action but the action never actually ends up happening until like 50 minutes into the movie and then there's like these large gaps of no action um you know maybe there's just a lot to explain or whatever i still liked it but you know if 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 we're comparing it to the other movie that we watched you know um th- this is this is nowhere close to that you know like this is not the same movie even though it's the same couple of people that are in it uh you know i i think that i wrote down here part of the reason why i was like a little bit sort of had this mixed feeling on it as well wife power is that um i think the score is cool i think the music is cool but it never ramps up at the right time or in the right way so it's like there's this action scene that happens and all it is is this is you know like corny sound effects of a punch or falling through a floor or something, as opposed to it ramping up and trying to get your feelings going, right? Like Carpenter does great music and everything. And I think it's cool, but there's just not enough of it. And I think that ruins the mood of what would otherwise be a more exciting experience, I think. So um, I think that actually had a lot, a lot to do with it. I realized, especially in that first 30 to 40 minutes of the movie, it's so quiet. And I could not understand why they chose to do that. But I don't know. It's, you know, almost 40 years ago. So, or <laughs> it is 40 years ago. So it, it is what it is. But uh, uh, Ian, what, what did you think? What was your overall thoughts? I thought it was definitely a Carpenter film uh, yeah. for better or for worse, but I do, I like his style. I like his, this pairing with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. And I think it, it took some building up to get to the point where we're at with big trouble in little China, right? It was 1986. Yeah. By that point, they'd, they'd done like at least two or three movies together. So like I think by the time they kind of hit their stride, they knew what they they were going for with Big Trouble in Little China. Whereas like this was kind of like an early outing. I think Carpenter did a smash with Halloween in 1978, and of course that great score. Um, and this was a low budget film, so I, mm-hmm. I was kind of impressed with what they did with very what very little that they had. Um, and the music was great, like you said, but maybe could have had could have had more of it or used used it more to his advantage. Um, I definitely agree with that. But uh, I still enjoy it. I think the concept of this is great. And the the nostalgia for me is actually with Escape from L.A. because I watched that one when I was younger a lot more. 
Um, so it's kind of like the same effect power. I think you mentioned how like Batman Returns is your Batman versus the original Batman because that's the one you watched growing up or like Temple of Doom. It's like Escape from LA is the one I watched growing up. So even if it's not a better movie, it's like that's the one I have the nostalgia for. But watching this uh, still brought me back to like the same kind of mood I was in with Big Trouble in Little China. I think the difference is like this movie is taking itself seriously, mm-hmm. whereas Big Trouble in Little China knew how like how silly they wanted to get with it right and i I think like i I think it's a very similar to someone like like another auteur director like like sam raimi when he did evil dead i think when you watch that you get the sense that evil dead is trying to be a serious horror movie by the time you get to evil dead 2 he's like found his groove and he knows that like he has a little bit of an audience for campiness and like this and that so he's kind of like leaning into it yeah i think the same thing happens here we've got 1981 we don't even have like movies like Blade Runner yet. Like, like yeah, there's novels and stuff that deal with this kind of dystopian environment, but there's no big action blockbusters that I can recall that were like trying to go for this scale and this type of story. So I think uh, this will hit some interesting notes, but as we go through it, there's definitely some laugh yeah. out loud. We'll get the specifics. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, uh, what about you, man? Yeah, I chose the movie because of... Um how much i enjoyed our experience watching big trouble in little china yeah and i chose that movie because i hadn't seen it and it was an excuse to go back and watch something old for the podcast and we liked it so much i thought oh man another movie that i know is a cult classic is escape from new york same pairing john carpenter kurt russell uh that's why i chose it and you know i'm a I think that's the downfall is that we watched big trouble in little china first i think that (laughs) that's fair that's fair (laughs) <laughs> is the downfall of this review and why it was back in what was it 1981 and then yeah. watched big trouble in china six seven years later you, you probably love both movies but I, it's hard not to compare them and i think big trouble is much better i think i love the setup of the movie you know there's like a china and the soviet union have combined and america is 400% increase in crime, they say, and Manhattan has turned into a a prison island where they just dump people for the rest of their lives. If it's they it's such a video and... game, like like uh, yes. a, a typical, like, okay, video games are more sophisticated than that in stories in a lot of the ways, but like this setup, Maybe not in the eighties. Maybe not in the eighties, <laughs> yeah. but even but even even now, you could get away with making a game with this exact story and just have a silly action game, and you'd be like, "Great, awesome, let's do it!" Like that's what it felt like to me. Like, mm-hmm. great. That, that yeah. it was like, "Oh, this is a video game." It, it was such awesome. a cool setup. And then he has to go yeah. in and get the president. It's like all all silly, but it's yeah. it's can't it's good campiness. But uh, maybe that's you know, where they got the idea for "Let's Call the President." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it falls short on like the action but it's almost unfair to compare it because it's 1981 and you know ian's sure. right things like blade runner or die hard or whatever hadn't come out yet and you and know the bar for action was tone, different right? like they're going for more like a suspense tone i think in this movie yeah, yeah yeah and um but i think the biggest letdown is like the supporting characters i think mm. the supporting characters in big trouble like low pen and his friend wang i think his name is like they're so much more memorable and better all the supporting characters here are kind of like just i don't know very forgettable yeah so, like you can you can picture them but are you really like yeah like the the um ernest borgnine 
like the cabbie guy yeah, is kind of fun. That's Ernest Borgnine. That's Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he's the only one that I can really, I would really latch onto. Yeah, he's okay, but what yeah. did he do really? Right. Like exactly. they're exactly. all inconsequential. So Snake Plissken, cool character. But um, and I still like the movie. I don't want to be too hard on it. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. it's because I'm yeah. comparing it to Big Trouble in Little China. And I was surprised how much I really, really liked Big Trouble in Little China. That's a movie I want to like watch again and go back and yep. it be a, sort of that cult classic. Whereas this movie, Escape from New York, fun time watching it. I see where, you know, it kind of sits in the pantheon of cult classics. And I kind of mm-hmm. get it. If you were back in the early 80s and you discovered this movie, it'd be something different and kind of campy and cool. But um, I don't know if it holds up as well as as other movies but yeah. still liked it overall still had a fun yeah. experience still way better than anything dave's ever picked so <laughs> you know what while i can agree with you though that some of the roles like aren't very memorable i did like some of the actors in this like i think harry dean stanton as brain was actually pretty legit mm-hmm. uh, and I, I really like him overall as an actor and you know he's got limited role like not not limited roles but limited roles that i've been exposed to uh, over his career but he was in uh, alien as well and he was also the guy in the Avengers who watches um, Hulk fall from the sky. Oh, he really? Goes, Are you an alien? <laughs> oh, I, that's funny. Yeah. I recognize, I recognize so his voice rest, and everything. Recipes, Harry Dean Stanton. Love that guy. That's amazing. But yeah, but yeah so um, to that point, I, I'm glad you brought up the video game connection because I thought it was interesting because it pulled it straight off IMDb that they're saying that basically at some point in the Metal Gear franchise, they base Snake yes. off of Plissken. So yeah. it's just yeah, like they, they kind of drew inspiration off. So, yeah, yeah, so exactly. That was, that was which cool. which came like 15 years, no, 20 years probably after this, uh, or, yeah. or 15 to 20 years after this. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into some of the details of stuff in the movie. Now, guys, I did a tiny bit of research for this, for this setup. Uh, it is not serious research. So Dave did homework. Uh, what I, I did homework for the first time. Uh, ever, never mind in 20 years, but ever I did my homework. Um, okay, so part of the setup is that this started happening in, I think it was 86 is when they say they start like closing down Manhattan, uh, something like that. And then the movie picks up in, oh no, sorry, 1988, 88, that's what it is. And then the movie picks up in, in 97, right? That's in what it's- 97. Yes, 97. Which is exactly oh what hit me like a what? ton of bricks. When I saw that on the screen, I was like, are we like, is power a genius or is this like a happy accident? <laughs> meant to do that. I totally meant to do that for the theme of the podcast and everything. Especially because yeah. like Escape from LA was made in 96. So even when they made the sequel, they weren't even caught up to the alternate. Right, uh, right. Yeah. So we've been looking back up. 25 years, uh, the last couple of years. This year obviously would have been 97. So it's a perfect little uh, thing. I didn't even pick up on that until you just said that. <laughs> hilarious uh so my my homework goes back to 88 so part of part of the setup of the world of this movie or both of these movies i you know i'm assuming la is somewhat similar but i don't remember um is that something like all this stuff happened in 88 to make manhattan like a huge spike in crime and all of a sudden it is like the worst place in the world to be and i'm like before I sort of got the tidbits of of what the story is and why this is all happening and stuff, I was like, what would make, you know, New York or Manhattan just all of a sudden snap and, and be like, all right, this is the crime center of North America, essentially. And I found three things that could lead possibly to the fact that this is why everyone went nuts and crime started happening. Number one, HP introduced the advanced scientific calculator in 1988. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe everyone just really hated math and they lost their mind. <laughs> Uh, number two, the first Royal Rumble was held. So maybe there was some inspiration there. Everyone watched the Royal Rumble and they decided to fight each other. I don't know. Third, instead of throwing each other over the ring, they threw each other into the water. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. And then finally, the last Playboy Club closed as well. So maybe everyone lost their mind because they couldn't go to a Playboy Club anymore. Those are the three uh, things I thought. Maybe that's what and David could be a combination of all three things too. Exactly. You know, yeah. one of them was just a straw that broke the camel's back and we could have exactly. been the yeah. uh the calculator. That's my guess. Yeah. Not so, to get too real here, but I thought you were gonna say something like, oh, there was a pandemic or something. Like <laughs> 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 no, that kept everybody too closed off so they couldn't be any crime. <laughs> um so yeah so it's it's uh it's a fun setup, like I mentioned. Um, I think it was just before we started hitting record, Wife Power, you were mentioning that everyone, everyone knows who Snake is, but we don't somehow. And I thought that was kind of, hey, aren't you supposed to be dead? Hey, I, you know, who is this guy? And yet everyone knows who he is. I, I, I found that strange, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we never, like through the whole movie, we never learned who he is and why all these people know like everybody knew who he was like the cab driver the brain like the people that sent him into manhattan in the first place and it's You're like snake pliskin ain't you what do you want i thought you were dead heard you were dead i heard you were dead Listen, Snake, I swear to god i thought you were dead yeah, you and everybody else i know who you are but i heard you were dead the only thing there was, was I think it was the police chief. I think that what it, what his like quote unquote official title was. He said something about he was from a certain mission, like like an army mission or something like that. He went over his sort of thing. He was like a ex-special forces, but, did all these missions. So he's quite famous in the like. Do you know any ex-special forces guys? No, no, no. no I'm saying he's quite famous yeah. in the military <laughs> circles, military like, police would... circles. Everyone that he saw had some connection to like some sort of the military at some some point. They were all like. Uh, mercenaries and all this crap, right? They weren't just like Joe Blows off the street. So that's that's well, I think the explanation. Driver. Yeah, there's a cab driver. <laughs> yeah, but, but he's the New York cab, you know. Yeah, but he's sort of <laughs> underground. He's like in Manhattan, but he's like surviving, so he kind of knows all the bad people. Like I you guess. know what I mean? So he's like know. famous in this prison world, you know. That he's no, probably sent half the people there or something. I think he's supposed to be that classic New York cab driver who just kind of like knows everything that's yeah. going on. I, I think we're time. I think we're we're reading too much into it and giving him too much credit. I thought it was I thought it was strange. I think my first right. <laughs> no, you mentioned the chief of police. That was Lee Van Cleef's character, Hawk. Mm -hmm. I thought he did pretty good too. Uh, I want to talk about how this all goes down because we go from basically him getting cat, like he's getting in, uh, going through prisoner intake to go into uh, New York. But at the same time, there's the accident with Air Force One, and uh, you know Donald Pleasance's character, uh, the president goes down with the plane and but actually doesn't go down with the plane so how <laughs> ridiculous was this little piece of shit pod that he gets into i i kept, i couldn't believe my eyes it was like a little tamagotchi you got inside <laughs> no i think i think he does go down with the plane and the pod just protects him because there's one point where pliskin says did you see where the plane where he like finds out that the like the communicator or whatever is not with the president anymore right, he's right. he asked someone where did the plane land did you see where the plane crashed 
So I think the pod stayed in the plane. The plane crashes, but the pod protected the president. It was in a it was in a very similar area to when mm-hmm. he saw the plane, then he saw the pod, or the other way around. They were close to each other. Yeah, or at least they didn't make like it that. seem like they were far from each other. And yeah, e- even if it didn't fall, it at the wasn't exact like same an time, escape pod. I don't yeah, think that's what I thought it was. I, I guess it seems a little bit more ridiculous because I'm picturing like you know R two D two and yes. <laughs> getting in the little escape pod, but like it was still a tiny. It was very Doctor like, Evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, could could you get any smaller? Like, he's basically tucking his head in as he gets. Fed, like, yeah. And it's like, why did they have to make it red? It's like, it, it, it's like if you're putting a really important person in here to kind of like protect them and potentially like hide them where they're like. So no one's interested in whatever this thing is. Like, just yeah. You know. I wonder why? if that's something that's actually on Air Force One. Why make it like apple red? Like it was just so obnoxious. So the color. Red, yeah. yeah. Now, I will say if they actually have that on Air Force One, then I stand corrected. But that's still, <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, yeah, they needed just a way for him to survive the. Now it's crash, not an egg. So. Yeah. Now it's a square. So that's yeah. it's not the same. Yeah. I think <laughs> advances. Like, you know. Mind you, I had a couple drinks with me at the time watching this, but I think like there were a lot of little things early on that had me think, like even though the you know the pods seemed ridiculous, but also him landing on top of the uh, World World Trade Center, like just yeah. the fact that he can land that glider, and at some point in the movie later on, some guy says, "Well, it'll be a lot easier to take off." I'm like, would it? Like, it, like <laughs> it's not easy to land on that 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 building surface or take off from there in a plane yeah in a and plane. also too when they show him landing there's like a, a a reader on the on the thing all of a sudden that says like drop off and it has a measurement of the drop off like what what little glider device has a drop off measurement of like the top of a yeah. building like what is that <laughs> yeah to that to that point the visuals were like so dated i know it's supposed to be like futuristic but they were very dated uh computer graphics that they had to tell you like you what? said, they, they would tell you, like, look down or something like in words because you don't yeah. know what you're staring at. Like you, you'd have but to look at the words to understand what the graph meant. <laughs> I, I I will say I will say that you guys have mentioned a couple of times about the bad movies that I've uh, that I've chosen for movie wagers like Spawn, for example, came to mind with this movie in particular with the CG, because even though this was 1981, the CG in this was better than it was in Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> i don't that's know good, that's, that's hilarious well, no it's a good point i mean in the, the hell scene at least in the hell scene it's better used this. you know they better the special effects are better used better used like the yeah. effects yeah. for 81 it's not it's not star wars but like i said no, it no, is a low there's a low budget film but cameron actually helped out with the uh, special effects in this movie so oh, like, okay yeah. they did they did some yeah. wonders with like what little they, they were yeah doing. yeah yeah i think it's like towards the end of the movie where the glider like falls off the building or something mm-hmm. like that. And it looks like they threw a paper airplane. <laughs> oh, it's a model kit for sure. It's like yeah. a miniature. Yeah. You can tell. So Star Wars that's how they made movies back in the day. That's how they made practical. There's no fancy smancy supercomputers. They used practical effects and models and, you know, you got to be on board for that. 1981. It's true. It's true. But also Star Wars was full of that. So yeah and it looked i don't much know better. if they and... used a paper airplane yeah exactly no they definitely did not yeah exactly um a... one, of, one of my favorite uh little little things from the beginning if, if we're still sort of a little bit towards the beginning was um 
when he shows him, I guess it's a pardon. I don't know if he calls it a pardon or not for his crimes. If he's going to mm-hmm. be a part of this, he pulls yeah. it out of like his desk drawer and he, and he sort of shows it to him. And honestly, it looks like the guy I wrote, I wrote this down. It looks like the guy says, well, here, we're going to eliminate all your crimes. Here's a diploma. I found in my son's desk. This is what we're going to use. <laughs> like that's, it just looks like a photocopy. Yeah, it looks like a diploma. Paper. Yeah. No, it does look like a certificate or, like a, or something. Like a certificate of like, yeah. you completed uh, your, your training for, uh, you know, proper workplace management or something. Mm. It just looks yeah. like one of those things. You know, it was, Wemis um, training. Wemis yeah. training. <laughs> you know, what was interesting was the uh, whole uh brainstem bomb that they put in him which oh, is yeah. bef- you know way before the suicide squad movie at least and i don't yeah. know where that's that's an idea that's uh been used yeah. since it puts a ticking clock on the the mission right and mm-hmm. uh, it puts like 23 hours on the clock and then basically he has to finish it with enough time for them to de- to mm-hmm. put an x-ray on to deactivate i i, I love how he'll, he'll explode from within yeah i love how too um he doesn't get worried about what they're doing until after they shoot him with two things in the side of his neck. Like somehow that's okay to just go, ha, huh, and then two guns in the side of his neck. He's like, oh, okay, no problem. That's part of it. And then he asks why, or they tell him why they did that. And then he gets upset. <laughs> like, would you not question why they're stabbing you twice in the neck with a with something? Like, yeah, but he's really, he's really got like no choice. I think that was a good setup where it's like, he's really got no choice. He's true. like, either way yeah, I'm going in. I mean, yeah, the whole, yeah, yeah him yeah. dying and, getting his head blown off is probably something he didn't know it's just like you a said layer. he didn't set up front up front but yeah it was necessary i guess to it's just give an that excuse for tension that's what yeah. I, I just found it like yeah. an excuse to to put the clock essentially that's, and when that's he's really telling him to like the mission is to go get, get him to he's like you know he's supposed to be badass so to get him to like cooperate yeah yeah and he goes he goes what president and the guy's like come on now don't be funny that's not funny or something like that like, <laughs> <laughs> the dialogue is pretty funny <laughs> it's uh it's it's you know when things i guess pick up a little bit towards the middle i guess he sort of you know um when that late when the lady gets pulled through the floor that's kind of when things start sort of picking up a little bit more she's credited as girl in chock full of nuts is that all is that all she's credited in because it's just season hubbly is her name (laughs) I, it's like that could have been a character that they followed through with. And I think they could have done something with, I feel like, I don't know what it would be, but it's like, I, I don't know. Speaking of like those crazies that pull her through the yeah. floor, that's, those are the sensibilities that, you know, Carpenter was able to lean into, right? Like he's, he's good with the horror stuff we mentioned in uh, big trouble in little China, how he's got like those creatures that seem like mm-hmm. kind of out of place, but like not for a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Like in this movie, I think that that's kind of what he was going for is like how scary it would be to be trapped in New York. Yeah. Under these circumstances. Well, it's interesting all these too. Different gangs that want to kill you. And- yeah. <laughs> What's interesting is that uh, it's, it felt like it was similar to what, what you were saying wife power about how the movie is sort of slow and a little too quiet and stuff for the first little while. It definitely feels like that. But then once all these guys and people start coming out of the sewers, out of the floor and stuff, all of a sudden the streets are full of these people. And it it almost feels like it's more scary because of that, because you don't see that until that point. And I I don't know if that just adds to the tension or if that is on purpose or not, or, you know, like we've been saying, it's low budget. So there's only so much you can do with so many cast members or whatever, but um, but it does feel like there's more people because there was less before that. <laughs> mm. um, but I, I, I didn't mind it. I, I think it's it's kind of cool. It, 
I just I just wish once that point happened, it was almost nonstop action the rest of the way. But there's just a lot like it seems like every five minutes there's like exposition dumps all over the place. And it just really bogs it down. And I think that's that's my problem with it, I think, is that it just doesn't move fast enough. Um, I think wife Pyrie said it moves slow for an hour and a half movie, which yeah. is hard, which is odd. It's hard stuff to say, but it's, I think you're right. It gives me like Wizard of Oz vibes, like the way it was structured is like he's traveling down the yellow brick road and it's like he keeps meeting all these like characters along the way, but it's like they don't really matter until he gets to like the wizard, which I guess is kind of like, I forget the guy's name, the Duke. Is that Duke. what it is? Yeah, Duke. Duke. Yeah. Isaac Hayes. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. It was just, yeah, it was really slow. Like that scene seemed really cool. Like when it was like all the people were coming out and they kind of like almost moved like zombies. Mm -hmm. And then it was like nothing happened. He kind of just like ran away from them and then like hid in an alley. And it's like, well, well, this was like a good opportunity to maybe throw in like a little bit of like cool action where he kind of like fights the zombie people in New York for a bit, but it's like, yeah. well, because like, she gets pulled under and that's actually kind of cool how that happens. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or like pull yeah. him under it's a lot cooler he's... than how he gets out of there. I'll tell you that. Much. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's Just like takes pull... his machine gun and goes to the old cartoon. Oh yeah. Circle the... of bullets, <laughs> knock out the wall. Babe. That's how he did it. Yeah. And then he's just like out of it. And that's like, that was really cool. I but guess that, that's, that's a type of thing that I would expect from something like Big Trouble in Little China, right? Where you do something right. silly like that. But in this movie, it kind of fell out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the Duke, like, it's funny. I just found it funny how all these characters became like a tight knit crew and then they get like ceremoniously dispatched along the way, like towards the end. Just like the way they go out is ridiculous. And, yeah. Like, it's of little consequence to anything else. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, cabby, you know, and then uh, brain. Um, basically, they're just like he he steps on a landmine or something towards the end. Yeah, yeah. And then, and and then the other girl, Maggie, is like trying to get revenge, and she's standing there, and Duke's just runs her over. <laughs> just all right. Well, see ya. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of like hilarious like notes that were just like, oh, that's an interesting choice. But like, yeah. I don't know. It, it's still like a fun ride for me. I it think. is. It is. Uh, Mike, is there is there like a a standout thing before we wrap this up and move on to Andor? Is there is there a one thing that sort of stands out? You're like, yeah, I I, I like that scene, or oh, this is memorable for good. I or, think for just bad. the character Snake Pliskin. I can okay. see why he took off as a character. Like he's the one memorable. One memorable performance, one memorable yeah. thing about the movie. The other thought, thing I found interesting was the uh, base baseball bat with nails sticking out of it oh, fight yeah. that they had. That was mm-hmm. probably like craziest action scene. I was like, yep. oh, I've never seen that before. Uh, so that was those two things stood out to me the most. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, there's there's a few standout moments, but uh, you know what, guys? I think this just gives us an excuse, whether it's a summer movie wager or not, to watch Escape from L.A. And then we can sort of really compare these three, especially. I mean, I know there's, mm-hmm. there's more movies, but uh, Escape from L.A. should be on our list uh, at some point. Um, it and comes also, out. Also, it might be relevant because I think they're they might be working on a sequel or a remake. Yeah. So apparently, oh, apparently they. Yeah. So the guys, the team that did the newest Scream movie are in talks 
to do a remake of Escape from New York and with Kurt Russell. Well, actually, it might potentially not be a with Kurt it Russell. It might be. Uh, it might be like a legacy sequel kind of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But either way, you know, they they made a decent movie, and and it's uh, could be cool to revisit this with with like modern sensibilities and stuff. So um, I think this is yeah. a good. I think this is happens with a lot of Carpenter movies. Like it's a good movie to be a cult classic. It's not. Yeah a good enough movie to land like you know solid blockbuster (laughs) status or like you know like like actual classic but like cult classic seems like a good little it's a good it's a good place to place these movies for Um, sure and nobody mentioned vegeta (laughs) the the laughing hyena man (laughs) right with the spiky hair romero is that what his name was no no no. he looks like vegeta from dragon ball z from dragon ball z yeah he does yeah with that hair i was like did they say in there that guy was weird yeah it was i think there was like one scene where he had like a really weird laugh and we were like what was that yeah Yeah, before we drop this and move on to andor does anyone want to sort of explain what happens at the end with the whole like cassette tape oh and that's the other funny thing it's supposed to be in 97 okay yeah they couldn't come up with anything but a cassette tape yeah for That's... 81 dystopian future no no sort of like crazy disc or anything like it couldn't look completely out of place that's totally fine it's totally fine yeah. it's 16 years or whatever in the future like just figure something uh, it's it's odd it, it's it, it get. i think that i think it gets better as it goes but overall it is what it is um before we cut it off though uh wife power thanks for hopping on and thanks for uh going through another uh, movie with us. <laughs> hey, she participated in the summer movie wager, so she has it's to pay true. the toll. It's I can't, it's you can't wait till it. I get my my victory year, and I'm gonna be your you turn. Guys watch. <laughs> hey, bring it on! Turn. You got to beat us. You got to beat us. <laughs> I'm going for the throne again. I'm gonna. I still have to check. I still have to check Mike's math because I think I remember him saying he only beat me by one point, which is questionable. <laughs> How convenient for the yeah. audit is over. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, All right, the window. <laughs> let's uh, let's hop on over to uh, some Andor talk. season one of andor and we did a decent breakdown of our feelings so far leading up to this point myself mike and ian but wife power we haven't heard from you in a while about this show and where things are what's your feeling been in the latest uh star wars tv show up unto the finale and then we'll get into the breakdown of how things wrapped up how'd you feel the show's been going and what are your thoughts leading up to this i've liked it uh yeah, Mike's always asked me, are you going to come record Andor? And I said, mm, I don't know. I think I'm just going to let you guys nerd out for a little bit. Uh, I'm definitely, disclaimer, I'm definitely not the level of Star Wars nor- nerds that these guys are. Um, so, yeah, I've enjoyed it. It hasn't been my favorite of the TV shows so far. The um, Mandalorian still holds that title for me, but I, I'd probably say Andor fits in the second slot for me mm-hmm. um yeah it's been it's been good i think the storytelling's been fantastic i've kind of liked the whole three episode arc thing that they're kind of doing um which has been pretty cool and then they just threw it all out the window kind of like towards the end um 
but yeah it's been good I like the acting I think the problem with like some of these shows and maybe that's just why I like the Mandalorian better is like there's just no stakes like we've seen him mm. in Rogue One so it's like when you're going into some of these like episodes and stuff and you're like well like okay well I know what happens to him like I know his future story so it's like there's just no like he's gonna get out of this prison one way or another and survive yeah yeah it's it's I think it just takes away like a little bit of the suspense or like the um the wondering it's like okay well he gets out of prison it's just like a matter of how are they gonna do it kind of thing so yeah I think that just takes away a little bit from it um but yeah other than that I've I've really liked the show I like the characters um I hate the the female I forget her name Deidre Miro yeah that's probably her yeah supervisor Miro the supervisor yeah yeah, she's the worst. <laughs> worse she... because her character sucks, or worse because you just don't like. Oh, she just yeah. gives women a bad name. Ship, <laughs> ship, ship Deidre Miro and Cyril Karn. Let's oh, see Karn. See it happen. <laughs> yeah, that guy's horrible too. Yeah, well, uh, he's a piece of work. <laughs> but yeah, it's been. I've enjoyed it. Um, I think the the arc where he does the first rebel mission mm-hmm. um to steal the money from the 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 camp that was probably my favorite arc out of all of them um but yeah it was really it was good it was well done yeah yeah i think we've we've sung the praises of all the storytelling and everything as well so we uh we we did a, a decent amount of like guesses as we're think the, the show's gonna go and i think we kind of all sort of thought yeah this the last episode is going to have everybody on ferrix and this whole thing's going to happen but how it happened maybe was a little bit surprising or at least aspects of it were um marva still plays a big part even though she's not there so i thought that was really awesome yeah um and to me aside from that like i think that's probably like the standout moment i think is her speech and everything but immediately after that to me the standout of this whole episode is Brazo or Brazo. I can't remember exactly how his name is, yeah, is pronounced. Yeah. The fact that he just boots a guy across the screen and then smokes another guy in the face with her, with her, with Marva, with Marva <laughs> is the best five seconds that this show has had. I think it was amazing. He kicked that guy. I was like, Oh, Oh, so, Oh, he hit him in the face. Oh. And then it just went from there. I thought it was like my favorite. Cause this guy's like, He's a big tanky guy and he just beats the poop out of guys like so fast. I thought it was great. Um, I think this, I think this episode was cool. I I think it was, it was, it was fun, but also was pretty meaningful and all that. Like it was touching. And uh, I thought it was a cool way to, to send off the characters a little bit of a predictable last scene, I thought, but other than that, I I really enjoyed the the finale. Um, Ian, what about you? Yeah, I think we called a lot of what was going to happen, like you said, and um, it was just fun to see it how how it unraveled. I kind of agree yeah. with Life Power. It's a it's a bit of a quandary when you're doing like a prequel story because you kind of you know certain things, but I think they they do lean on that a little bit. They use it to their advantage. Casting's not always in the forefront. 
Uh, so we've got a lot of other characters developed in this series. And, um, you know, I think what I feel for them is, well, I haven't seen them in any other Star Wars, so I'm actually worried for all of these characters, like aside yeah. from Cassian, because we know. But like, it's it's kind of similar in Rogue One. Like, you know, okay, a lot of these people aren't going to make it out of here. And that's kind of what we're getting in this show. And now we have another season coming. So there are some characters sticking around. I can't imagine we're going to have too many of them make it out of this situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's by, true. when it's all said and done. I mean, we have certain characters on Mothma and stuff, they're going to go on to do what they do. But it's fascinating to me to see how they're building this rebellion. And it's, and, and it's, I mean, I think we mentioned it previously, but it's just, it's a lot of small parts and little, small little victories that add up to this. It's like, uh, you know, the, the sum is greater than its parts kind of thing. So it's like, yeah, I've I've really enjoyed seeing it all come together. I think the the finale just hammers home to me that this is the best written Star Wars I think we've gotten since maybe the original trilogy. So, like we've we've gotten some really good writing in here um, that kind of brings it full circle, like back to Ferrix. Like, yeah, maybe it's predictable, but it's also very poetic. And like I think the whole speech with Marva, like she kind of put the pieces in place as as we go through this season. But by the time we get that great speech from her in the end, I think it really paid off nicely. So yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, we can get into the details, but yeah, it was it was a fantastic, fantastic season. Yeah, go for it, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been loving the show, obviously. I ha- I I'm on record saying the Mandalorian is my favorite Star Wars thing since the original trilogy, as we all have that. You guys have been, you know, praising Endor even more than I have and saying it's probably the best Disney Plus show. I think the finale has cemented the Mandalorian as the best Disney Plus show, not Endor. I actually think the finale was a bit of a letdown. Still a good show. Still better than a lot of the Star Wars stuff. So still, still think it's a good show overall mm-hmm. but i think Mandalorian edges it out and uh, the reason why the finale i didn't think it was great i think just bringing everyone to the same location is not the same as you know is not satisfying enough um as having the stories intertwining and having the characters there for a reason or being there for some plot reason or something impactful like cinta and the other person like why were they there they had nothing to do she killed one guard and then left yeah yeah um but their relationships in shambles <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean they could have done that anywhere else yeah um lupin is this loop is it lupin uh L- luthan luthan you know there's no reason for him to go there. He already has Cinta and the other girl there. Well, he's very invested, um, though. He's very invested in having to risk himself to go there. Yeah, it didn't make sense. But I, when I saw the speech, I know what they're going for. They wanted him to be there to yeah, see the speech. Yeah. yeah. So but he, he also had an tells payoff. his assistant, Clea, he tells her that, like, we can't afford to, like, leave this to anybody else. Like, he basically says, like, I've got to go. Basically. But that's, I think that's, a, I don't think that's, that's well-written part i think that's just they needed him there for the speech because that was the emotional part but i don't i think the way that the way they got there was kind of sloppy and so yeah and then you know cyril karn what's he doing there so you have all these characters coming but it's just like just because they're on the same location come on you know what he's there's, doing there's there. nothing super satisfying <laughs> that happened with, with most of them so i i was sort of let down you know i think the best stuff was the funeral stuff all that was great mm-hmm. the speech was great 
but you know the purpose of everyone else being there was kind of lost on me and i don't didn't think their storylines intertwine and intersected in an entertaining way yeah i i i think you have a point like i don't think this is the greatest finale ever but i i do think that the journey to get here was better than the actual finale for sure yeah, i mean the journey was amazing exactly yeah. right and i know you're not you're not questioning that part but um but wife power did you have a similar feel because i'm like you know not that you didn't like the show like you said but you know did it was the finale in a way similar to mike where where um it sort of cemented that Mandalorian was was ahead of this sort of if you were going to rank it is that part of it or was it really just overall I think it was cemented for me beforehand um uh, again I think part of it is that stakes component like yeah, right. the Mandalorian you're watching it and you're just like oh man what's gonna happen next like we have no idea what his story is moving forward like they really could go like balls to the walls and do whatever they want this one it's kind of like well we know eventually like he gets to a certain point so um uh yeah and then i kind of agree with mike it's like they brought everyone back to ferrix but like why and even like andor (laughs) he doesn't like you're Sinking into the finale, it's like you think there's going to be some big, like, climactic moment with him. But he doesn't really do anything. He goes off on his, he goes off on a little side mission to rescue Bix, which, like, I'm not I saying it's not, not important. Yeah. Like, I think that could have been a, a smaller chunk of the episode, not essentially what he does the entire time. Cause, like, you get no final showdown. You get no, like, he doesn't he's not he's not part of that street battle yeah he's not he's not a part of it at all he doesn't meet up with any of the characters that are essentially like looking for him so it's Mm -hmm. like all these characters show up to ferrix to find him and he's there but like he doesn't encounter any of them like so it just i think that i think that part of it felt a little bit like flat because you're expecting at least one moment where he he has like a a showdown or something with Mm -hmm. one of the characters and you just you never get it he's off on this kind of like side mission where what does he have to beat two like two lazy guards like they're not even like (laughs) storm troopers or anything so i think it was just like well, he I think did, it was. He did take out a death trooper. Oh, That's okay. true. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. A, he did a Max Payne dive and took the guy out in mid jump. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was just like for him to be like the main character of the story. It's like kind of like what you were saying, Dave. Like some of the other characters had cooler moments in this episode, and it kind of like it would have been. Cool to see like a big another big moment from Andor that right. like um would have added like a bit more to his like storyline and stuff. Yeah, I wonder if it's just a, a way to make sure that he survives. You know, like an easy way to make a quote unquote easy way to make. I mean, there's a lot going against him. There's there's the the guy that's sort of um working for a couple extra bucks to point out that he's up in the tower. Like, there's all these things where there's there's breadcrumbs that he's not 
like that are there mm-hmm. that lead to him that he doesn't know is going on. So you're sort of, I like all these strings and breadcrumbs that are sort of like leading towards him that he, he doesn't quite know what's going on, but he still manages to get away. Like, sure. You could call that coincidence, but I think it's also really like interesting uh, world building around what's going on. So I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of cool, but, but it's true. You don't, his, his showdown is taking out that trooper, like Ian just mentioned. And then at the last scene, I would say those are his two yeah, yeah. moments. I mean, it, obviously same thing, like you're saying, wife power, you know, he's not going to shoot him, you know, yeah. if he does, he's going to survive. You know, uh, he's joining the rebellion. So yeah. So like... that's why I thought that last scene was a little bit predictable. I don't think it's bad. It's fine. It's just setting up next season. Totally yeah. fine. You know, it's kind of expected, but yeah, it yeah. is what it is. Um, But, but I, but I enjoyed the, the, the stuff before and, Honestly, man, like Brazo just just killed it for me in this episode. It was just the stuff he does before. Like he has he has the Marva speech or at least the Marva message. And I thought that was actually one of the most emotional parts of the entire series. Um, and then he goes and beats the crap out of a couple people five minutes later. And I'm like, this guy is the all star, man. This this guy's yeah. got it. It's it great. And, and it's nice a... that Cassian was able to get them to safety. And like, it's exactly, cool to know right? that they're going to be around for season two. Like, yeah, it's... exactly. And I think, um, I think Brazo kind of got the short end of the stick a little bit because we didn't, we haven't really seen too much of him. It seemed like he was going to be an important character in that first episode or two. And then, just because of the way the story goes, we just don't really see him. I was like, oh, that's a shame. He was kind of, he seemed like the nice guy, you know? Um, and then he comes back and he does it in a great way. So I thought that was, that was my favorite part, everything that he did um, for sure. But uh, Ian, is there any, any particular scenes or characters that, that for sure were like the standouts for you? Yeah. I, again, I really enjoyed it. But uh, I think Dave, it was actually some of the points that you made the last time we talked about this, like actually helped me enjoy this in a way that I probably, like, I, I was already saying that I was expecting to see like that mission with, uh, I was expecting Sagarera to change his mind and go help. Yeah, out yeah, yeah. Until Krieger and I, so, so like that is like the old Star Wars. Like I'm being conditioned to expect this huge spectacle at the end, and and <laughs> and you know when you were saying yeah it'll be fine if like we get like some smaller moments out of this thing i was like okay yeah i started to think that way i'm like it's more about the story and where it's headed and like you know we'll see what happens in season two but i i'm i'm assuming we're hoping we get the same quality out of season two that we got season one so like i'm sure there'll be spectacles along the way at some point but like at the same time where they all these characters ended up for me was like perfect way to end this season and head into a final season um so it's just like i kind of loved that uh cassian pivoted and the second he heard bix was in trouble like nope that's my mission now like forget even everything else that's going on with his own mother's funeral mm-hmm. my mission is to get bix out i thought that was like very nice because like the whole time poor bix has been like tortured and like she's yeah. just, like she's been through the ringer so it's nice that he was able to to do that and and everything else he was instrumental in like the the big aldani heist like that was all him and mm-hmm. and luthan knew it and and thought okay well he's not down for the cause so he's disposable yep and then by the end of this even luthan is able to pivot instantly when he realizes okay no no, no he's invested and therefore we should not like we should not go down this path that we were going to go down where i'm just gonna take you out because clearly cassian is like 
all in. He's been reading the manifesto, right? He's yeah, he's listening. He's, <laughs> he, he's got his uh, I, he's got his little uh, iPod uh, yeah. playing it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think like there was a lot to like about that, and then yeah, it was just it was mainly like the Marvis speech because it really did rally. Like I was like, oh yeah. man, like all of Ferrix now wants. And, and poor Ferrix, because like you know it's going to end badly for anybody who didn't make it out of there, right? Because the Empire will strike back. But um, you know, at the same time, they they have shown that they're not invulnerable, and like this yeah. is the first kind of step towards. Like I, I really do feel like Marva is, in a lot of ways, the mother of the rebellion because she wasn't officially affiliated, but she like did so much with like just being aligned with their cause and like. Like, I think what you're going to see is, like, those colors were specifically chosen. Like, the Ferrix, the the people, even um, Cass, Cass's village, like, all the colors and stuff, they come into play in the Rebellion, whether it's the orange tones, the green tones. Yeah. Like, they all, these colors are, like, th- this is, like, all symbolizing, like, what the Rebellion means down the line. And so I think we're going to just see in Season 2, like, it's going to be more, like, fully formed rebellion of all these factions coming together and it, it's just like i i'm still in awe of how tony gilroy was able to pull this this story all together like i think it was very well written um all the writers all the directors involved and 12 episodes seems like a lot it's probably the most episodes of any disney plus show yeah, but yeah. it had me like yeah you know he's gonna get out but at the same time when i'm watching like mandalorian like i'm never expecting mandalorian to get killed like he's <laughs> he's Mando, just like know? slice off <laughs> arm or something like yeah, one yeah. Episode. so yeah. it's like so i mean like in that respect like I, th- I still think there was a lot of suspense along the way because you don't know yeah. what's going on. yeah i think so and and a lot of like i think like i mentioned going into this episode the only reason why i was like less excited was because it was very typical to have everyone in the same place and get an action scene. Whereas everything before this was very atypical and not expected the way it was all constructed. So the ending to be constructed in a, in a very familiar way was why I wasn't as excited. I think largely it worked for me, but you know, hopefully, like you said, the next season is constructed in this way where we're not going to keep seeing, like, even though we know that he's going to survive no matter what, at least the journey there won't be predictable. Um, and I, I think that's what we need out of it. And I think that's what they delivered in this first season. So, yeah. um, I think that's, that's how I, I felt about it and, you know, not the perfect finale, but for me still, still kind of worked Mike, um, standouts or not so standouts. I, you mentioned a couple before, but anything in particular? Yeah, I think Mon Mothma was, yeah, uh, talked about her. that yeah, storyline yeah, yeah. continue, continues yeah. to be my favorite of the secondary storylines and um yeah i thought it was i thought it was um interesting sacrifice she had to make with her daughter and everything and the way she set up her husband she's kind of playing the empire a little bit yeah yeah i like that so that was good um the val and cinta a little a little call to uh to last jedi there a little bit of uh Yes, uh, gambling, they mentioned Canto Bite. Canto Bite was there. Was Bite was like, named. Oh Josh. man, no way! <laughs> yeah, there seems to be a little bit of confusion about uh, what she was trying to do, and I think I think I got oh, it. I th- I think she obvious. was. Yeah, she's trying to cover her tracks. Yeah, I think she was trying to set him up, or yeah. or at least put a bug in the Empire's ear that he's gambling the money away. So if they find yeah. missing money, they'll blame him. It's because right? of that. Hundred yeah. so, percent. Yeah. Um, she's smart. Like she's clever that way. I like. I like. 
the way that she's portrayed as yeah. like she played Chloris, the driver. She played yes. the fiddle. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. she knows what's going on and she's playing all her parts and she's in this really high pressure situation and she's kind of keeping it cool and she's mm-hmm. playing the making the right political moves and trying to be played all behind the scenes. And again, eventually, hopefully next season they continue with her character. You know, you know she's gonna be pushed out and she's gonna be lose her status and you know, end up leading See, this sort of rebellion. At some I don't point. know if she's going full Luthan. I honestly think that like she's walking a tightrope and she's she's doing everything she needs to to survive. But we haven't seen them her marry off her daughter yet. Like like they just had an introduction. So like it's not like I I think it's I think it's a puzzle piece gonna, though. I think yeah, it's it's definitely a factor. It's like, it's she's, still she's, it's she's still being pushed to do things she wouldn't normally. Yeah, it's still yeah, sort of selling yeah. her soul to the devil kind yeah, of deal. Yeah, 100%, like, 100%. But I think yeah. the difference you're going to find between Mon Mothma and Luthen by the end of this is Luthen is right. He called it. He's not going to see the sunset. She obviously does. Yeah. I think it's because she's going to find a way to walk a redeemable path. Hmm. Like she's going to be able to save her soul throughout this journey. Whereas Luthen's kind of a lost. But she's time. not going to be able to save her family because her family's probably not going to be around her. Yeah. <laughs> Whether yeah, they're dead no, or not, that's, is um, I don't know. But... That's an interesting yeah. point because I think the Tony Gilroy stuff, when you add Rogue One in this, is showing the Re- uh, Rebel Alliance as more of almost insurgents, almost sure. almost borderline terrorists compared yep. to how they're portrayed in the original trilogy. Yep. And they're a lot more brutal. And they're more a lot more ruthless, and they sink to the depths of their enemies, which is more realistic. But yeah. it's it adds a layer of gray and ickiness sort of to the rebellion, which is like supposed to be the heroes. So oh, it's a great it's, point. It's very interesting, but I wonder. Uh, yeah, I wonder if he's gonna have Matt Mon Mothma dragged down into sort of into it'll that be, too. It'll be fun to see too. So that seems like he's She's, starting to go that way. So. She could be one of the more interesting ones, even if she is like the quieter, like literally the quietest, the quieter character. Mm-hmm. Like her storyline could be one of the more interesting because of all those aspects. Like again, yes, we know where she ends up, but we have mm-hmm. we don't really have much of an idea of how she gets there. And yeah, how much she does has, she lose? I, I think the how much point she is exactly you have exactly. to sacrifice everything for the rebellion. Well, yeah, that's, that's what certainly... every character does, and I think you're going to see her sacrifice and do shit that she doesn't want to do and yep um that could get really interesting i think that's certainly the point they're making with Kinta too right like she's mm-hmm. basically not even well basically all concerned with her yeah. relationship with bell because she's so dedicated mm-hmm. and knows she needs to give everything to the cause and then your point about rogue one it's very valid but even in rogue one remember there's factions like saw Gerrera and his rebels like that are clearly more aggressive and like you know uh he ends up going down the ship because i think it's just like there are grades to, you know, you. Yeah, what Luke, I'm saying is Luke you didn't Skywalker see that. Yeah, what I'm saying like is you didn't see Sagarana any of that. The muck, right? So yeah. Yeah, you didn't see any of that in the original trilogy, right? You just no. they were just the heroes and they just did good and they just saved, but they really painted them more as um, morally gray in Rogue One, starting with Rogue, and now this show, the, the, the rebellion cool lines. The so. show I think is doing is like a lot of the times. Um, the empire and especially stormtroopers and stuff they they get turned to like butt of a joke right like a lot of the times in star wars they they can't shoot for shit mm-hmm. you know general hux like he was turned into a joke like just like a lot of a lot of these characters these villains like they, they don't come off as menacing as maybe they should i feel like in end or the empire even when they weren't present a couple episodes you felt their presence that they were the empire felt menacing throughout this entire series and therefore it kind of like it 
allows you to kind of align yourselves with people that are doing these dark things like on the side of the rebellion but like because it's just that much better than this yeah you never like you never see anyone in the empire as really redeemable redeemable maybe darth vader maybe they tried to do with hux but that failed miserably but dedra miro is the one character that you you see her scenes and you somewhat are rooting for her you know she's this like woman this man's world and she's just trying to make her way up the chain and and you're like, oh, am I sympathizing with like someone who works for the Empire? Like, that's an interesting thing the show does. They clearly do. Want I really you to want sympathize her with Karn her to have a relationship. Like, yeah, well, you know, not like, him. Yeah, I, I don't do. think they want you to sympathize <laughs> with him, but with her, they do. And it's like, wow, this show is showing the showing the rebellion as like some you know kind of it's terrorist great. organization and making you sympathize with some people on the Empire. It's very yeah. uh, even, like interesting you know what? that even way. Even if you don't sympathize, it just gives you perspective that you didn't get previously, right? Like you could say, yeah. screw these people. They're just all bad no matter what. Mm-hmm. These guys, it's black and white. No problem. Either way, like you could see it as black and white, plain and simple. That's fine. Either way, there's just more depth to the situation. Yeah, and it's I just think, adding layers. There's still yeah. clearly good guys and bad guys, but it's just adding layers and making it messier and making it more interesting, actually. So for sure. it's it's still a good show. And even though the finale I'm down on a bit compared to the rest of the show, you know, had mm-hmm. high expectations. I just don't think it delivered for me on those expectations. But overall, I do think it's the second best Star Wars show. And I can't wait for season two. I think it's a great show. I can't wait to yeah, see what Tony Gore has they in started, store. They started filming uh, within yeah. the last few weeks, which I don't know what that means as far as when it's going to come out. I have to wait probably at least a year, which kind of sucks. But you know what? And the only thing that could make it a bad show is if they set foot on Tatooine in season two. <laughs> That's the only thing that could make it. There it is. Down, pe- down another peg. How about that beach on the ammo sauce? That's, nice. <laughs> that's fine. Oh, sandy. that's fine. Yeah. I don't, it's not, I don't hate sand. You know, I don't hate sand. You're I just Anakin. don't want to see Tatooine. <laughs> uh, no, I think, uh, you know, Karn and, and Miro are going to be a force. With. I think they set that up nicely for, for season two. We're going to see them kind of this like dynamic duo on the side of the pirate will be it'll be interesting to see what they get up to yeah it was kind of weird that they kind of made it a bit like like they added in some sexual tension there mm-hmm. and, I, well, I think that's what they were going for i think that was on purpose that's yeah, I know, yeah sure. but i just yeah. i don't really i don't know i kind of i didn't really like it no but okay we'll see where where it goes but i just i found it a bit misplaced like normally mm-hmm. like to go that this is like my like rom-com <laughs> like romantic movie like it's like you have to sprinkle it here and there and sure. like none of their interactions so far has led led you there and then in that that scene that moment in the finale <laughs> they laid it on so thick that it was like well where is this coming from like it's not they're like it's not their first interaction together and now all of a sudden they're like super hot and heavy for each other like i don't know we know that Sierra's a little like stalker boy right so it's like yeah his side of it is believable and to be honest like for me I thought it would have been a little eye rolly if they had kissed in that moment. Yes, I'm oh, glad they didn't. Super eye. But I yeah. do, I do believe after her ordeal, like she thought she was like top shit. Like she was like walk strutting her stuff on Ferrix. Like you can't like my shit don't stink. 
she's getting dragged at one point like you really think that they got her and then he saves her so like that's a big moment for them and like I, and you know what i actually thought like regardless of the sexual tension whether it's there or not like regardless the way that she played her reaction in that room like she like i believe that she was fully shaken up and didn't know what was going on or, or yeah. couldn't believe that it was him like i thought she played that scene incredibly well i thought that was that you was know, great i, I bought it interesting all about those two is that they were they're both theater actors tony gilroy ah. them himself and plucked them out of theater to mm. specifically for these roles like it's just like when you when you start to think about the production details so, so you're saying season two is going to be a musical That's what you're yeah, saying. yeah yeah basically or just their scenes are going to be musical well with with a little k2so <laughs> hey. yeah. he's got to show up at some point right yeah so do we want to talk about like what we're looking forward to in season two at all or i i mean honestly like we talked a little bit about it last episode but too but i i, I think that um i think i just want to see these characters keep going i i, I want to see more of of I don't know if we have to go back to Ferrex. Maybe Ferrex will end up feeling like Tatooine. I don't know if, if we have to, but I think those characters are, are important enough. And obviously they have now left Ferrex. So there's going to be something there. And then I think that, um, I think actually, I, honestly, the, the Mothma stuff, I think is probably what I'm more interested in uh, than anything yeah. else. So yeah. how about when the human rooster just kicked that stormtrooper right off the tower? Yeah, I was man. like, there was, there were some good moments. Human that, rooster. Yeah, <laughs> it is a human. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> he actually has like a cool name. I forget what it's called though. Oh, um, his character. Yeah. yeah. But I, I love how that, how they almost make you forget that that stormtrooper is going up there. And then you see him up there. And he's like, yeah, F you boom. Right off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's, he's called, he's called the time grappler. The time oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's cool. Oh, that is a um, sick name. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Awesome. The, re the revolution, everything was cool. There's obviously a post credit scene, which hopefully we. Oh watch, yes. Uh, yes. Which I thought was like very fitting. Uh, I thought it Dave, was if you, great. If you want to describe what exactly it was, but uh, I thought it was it was a perfect kind of post credit. Well, if we're gonna have one at all. It, it worked. I thought it was great because uh, I don't know how many times whether I said it out loud or thought it to myself, it was like, what are they making? Yeah. <laughs> what are and they, they like yeah, so many they, of them, you know, they said it a bunch during the episodes too, where they said like, what are we making? Like right. we're making, we're making a part of something, but yeah. it's like, I thought it was like what? a, like a gear for, for an ad at or something like a, you know, mm -hmm. I thought it was something like that, like something that would go in, in the leg or whatever, but it obviously was, bigger for a bigger purpose mm -hmm. with, with the death star but i i thought that was great i thought it was it was it was a cool scene the way they exposed it and stuff and showed you what it was i thought it looked cool yeah uh, it almost looked like they were putting together a big uh big lego thing so yeah that was kind it's of like fun. they're they're exploiting the manpower to get all the parts got the droids to so it was so cool. touches on in space yeah but it's also very po poetic right you got casting and or we know his fate in Rogue One. We know he doesn't make it off Scarif, but he's kind of staring into the sunset with uh, or with Jin, and and then the explosion goes off. But that's yeah. he he's watching the Death Star, the thing that they just successfully stole the plans for, um, do its thing, which is to wipe out planets. And he had a hand in building. And like building whether or not it. whether or not he knows that, it kind of gives me a nice parallel between him and Galen Erso which was a big plot point in Rogue One where he was sent to take him out, even yeah. though Galen has like a good heart and was trying to work on the side of the rebels. He was still like too much of a liability the way Luthen sees Cassian. 
that's how they were seeing Galen and doing kind of a similar thing in Rogue One. So it's like a cool parallel between Cassian and him. And I think that that's kind of like where he's he's also walking a tight line. We see him kill people and, and do these kind of beady things. But I still think they're, they're going to draw a line in the sand between Cassian and Luthien. And and hopefully, Mon, you know, I, I feel like Mon Mothma is going to stay on that kind of positive mm-hmm. side by the end of it. But they're going to show you there's a difference between like going full Luthen and and, and, like, and taking his his way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And take like the more the more straight, quote unquote, right way as opposed to the the, the more yeah, extremist. Luthen's like thing. a means yeah. to an end, and in a lot of ways, casting is too tragically. Yep. But like, but, but in like a different at the same way, time, different. Approach. But at the same time, like there's there is an argument to be made about like how you go about doing things and like is your soul redeemable and i think yeah. that, that those are all fascinating questions yeah, that this show sure. is is asking which is nice hey before we finish i want to ask ian a question because he's the resident star wars expert the music you know they're playing a lot of music at yeah. the uh funeral yeah. with those instruments is that considered jizz music <laughs> <laughs> good one um, you know, yeah maybe <laughs> but, you know all, all jokes aside though i'm glad you brought that up because not only is the score great throughout the series but i remember watching like the featurette so on on disney plus they showed us the scene between cassian and luthan the first time they meet and they do the the deal right where he's buying that that one piece uh, from the empire like the imperial piece from cassian that scene took a while to get to because it was in episode three so like it was just like a tidbit but it was also kind of giving you a, a sense of what the show was like, like the style and the tone however it in that feature it also showed that throughout the filming of the series they had the the people playing instruments on set and of course, this was a show that was done on set, on location, as opposed to using the volume, which has been done for like the shows like The Mandalorian. They were actually shooting on location, on set, and they had the actual like orchestra playing their instruments on set. And then you see this, it makes sense to me, like it all clicked when you see the finale, because you see they incorporated that so nicely into the finale. Mm-hmm. And it, ma- it made it like a character, made a part of Ferrix, you know, the way that they feel more real. Yeah. yeah, the way that they, you know, banged on the metal and stuff mm-hmm. earlier in the series, and then that that was like supposed to signify the <laughs> reckoning, and then now we got the instruments and they're being played in real time, and it's part of the score. And I think that that made so much sense now when you think about that they were doing it while they were shooting because like yeah, they were all feeling cool. it right, and so I thought that worked really nice too. So I'm and, glad and if it that if up. it was jizz music, that's a <laughs> lot of jizz whalers in one place. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh man uh i mean you're not wrong though mike you're not wrong <laughs> for people that don't know music in star wars is called jizz All music. he's he's literally been thinking about those jokes <laughs> since last wednesday when the and there's started. an instrument in in star wars called the jizz box so i'm just gonna end with that <laughs> okay we're gonna end with that all right we'll end with My that goodness. uh mike as we end with that where's everyone gonna find our stuff online let's do that <laughs> uh at day back in on all social media platforms uh twitter while it still exists tiktok instagram and the podcast is called back in my day and we have a patreon patreon.com slash back in my day exactly you can find that and all our uh jizz box music uh as well across those platforms <laughs> wife power thanks for joining us and also thanks for putting up with us uh once again because um yeah us i want to throw in a shameless plug because you are 
you know, uh, yes. honoring Good. me with the title of Star Wars. Yes. Expert, I have been watching the show meticulously and writing reviews on and recaps on each episode. So you can find those on dorksideoftheforce.com. And Ian Walter is your man. That's yes, man. please go there. I, we should mention that up front next time. But yes, please go dark, dark side of the force. We yeah. support everything they do over there on that website. And our own Ian Walter is a writer there. We're very proud of him. So great job, Ian. Go check his stuff out. Let me toot my own jizz box. <laughs> and, and everyone stay tuned for uh, Michael Power's Spotify playlist Ooh. with... A bunch of jizz music. All jizz music. All jizz all whalers jizz whaling jizz on their jizz boxes. The <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, we got to get out of here. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs>